Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show, including your story. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. Up next, Christopher Klein is the author of four books, and he's a frequent contributor to the History Channel, National Geographic, and American Heritage. You've heard Chris tell the story of how Johnny Carson saved Twister. He's back with another one. Aided by Mark Twain, Ulysses S. Grant, 
former president and Civil War hero, raced to complete a literary masterpiece that saved his wife from destitution. Here's Christopher Klein with a story. Shortly before noon on May 6, 1884, Ulysses S. Grant entered the office of his Wall Street brokerage firm, A Wealthy Man. Hours later, he exited a pauper. Thanks to a pyramid scheme operated by his unscrupulous partner, Ferdinand Ward, Grant's investment firm had instantly collapsed, wiping out his life savings. Grant had all of $80 left to his name. His wife, Julia, she had another $130. Kind-hearted strangers responded by mailing Grant checks. Desperate to pay his bills, the former president cashed them. Still smarting from bankruptcy's bitter sting, Grant that summer suffered from an excruciating sting in his throat as well. When he finally visited a doctor in October, Grant learned he had incurable throat and tongue cancer, likely a product of his longtime cigar smoking habit. Grant had been no stranger to financial misfortune. Failing as a farmer and a rent collector prior to the Civil War, he lived in a log cabin that he dubbed Hard Scrabble and sold firewood on the streets of St. Louis to make ends meet. However, now that he was confronting the terrifying prospect of leaving Julia a penniless widow, the grizzled general who fought to save the Union undertook one final mission to save his family from impoverishment. Divested of his property and possessions, Grant still retained something of great value, his recollections of past glory. Although he appeared taciturn and reserved, Grant was a convivial storyteller who entertained friends such as Mark Twain with yarns of war and politics. For years, Twain had suggested that Grant pen his memoirs. Now destitute, the former president finally agreed to cash in on his celebrity. In need of financial rescue himself after a series of failed investments, the debt-ridden Twain inked Grant to a contract with his newly launched publishing house and gave him a $1,000 check to cover living expenses. Engaged in a furious race against time as the cancer attacked his body, Grant dug into his writing with military efficiency, churning out as many as 10,000 words in a single day. He poured through tall stacks of orders and maps that helped him to recreate his most famous battles with minute fidelity. Grant astounded Twain with not just the quantity, but the quality of his prose. Grant penned his manuscript until his hand grew too feeble in the spring of 1885, forcing him to employ a stenographer. Even speaking, however, became laborious as his condition deteriorated. Following the advice of doctors who vouched for the salubrious power of pure mountain air, Grant decamped at the onset of summer from his Manhattan brownstone to an Adirondack resort. In a cottage on the slopes of Mount McGregor, Grant launched his final campaign to complete his tome. With excruciating pain accompanying every swallow, Grant was unable to eat solid food. His body withered by the day. The voice that once commanded armies could barely muster a whisper. While Grant's doctors gave him morphine only sparingly in order to keep his mind clear for writing, they swabbed his throat with cocaine to provide topical pain relief and used hypodermic needles to inject him with brandy during the worst of his coughing fits. Through it all, Grant persisted in honing his manuscript, editing, adding new pages, poring over proofs in his first volume as he sat on the cottage porch on even the steamiest of days, swallowed in blankets, a wool hat, and a scarf covering his neck tumor, which was now, according to the New York Sun, as big as a man's two fists put together. 
When his voice finally abandoned him, Grant scribbled his thoughts in pencil on small slips of paper. When Twain visited Grant at the cottage, he brought the good news that he had already pre-sold 100,000 copies of the autobiography. A relieved Grant knew he had succeeded in giving Julia and his children financial security. With his mission accomplished, Grant finally laid down his pen on July 16th after crafting a Herculean 366,000 words in less than a year. Seven days later, Grant's pulse flickered and ultimately gave out. Employing an army of door-to-door salesmen, Twain sold more than 300,000 copies of the personal memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. The two-volume box set even outsold Twain's latest work, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and resulted in Julia Grant receiving $450,000 in royalties, equivalent to $12 million today. Grant's memoir proved not just a commercial success, but a literary one as well. Although he omitted discussion of his presidency or sensitive personal matters such as his drinking, many scholars consider Grant's autobiography the finest memoir ever penned by an American president and perhaps the foremost military memoir in the English language. And a great job by Greg Hengler and a special thanks to Christopher Klein. And he's the author of four books and a frequent contributor to the History Channel, National Geographic, and American Heritage. And what a story indeed. Grant's last battle was against the clock, and it was for his family. And he held out, and as always, the warrior fought to the end. My goodness, anyone who knows anything about Grant as a warrior knows that, well, now they know another side of his, of his warrior spirit. 300,000 plus words in less than a year, and all to save his family. And he doesn't just pen any memoir. Read the book, pick it up. Go to Amazon and order it, and just start reading it aloud to your family. It is indeed classic American literature, and it, of course, took a voice like Mark Twain's to discover it. Both men, by the way, routinely in financial ruin throughout their lives. The story of Mark Twain and Ulysses S. Grant's race against the clock to save the great Civil War hero's family from destitution. Here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the stories we tell about this great country, and especially the stories of America's rich past, Know that all of our stories about American history, from war to innovation, culture, and faith, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, a place where students study all the things that are beautiful in life and all the things that are good in life. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit. From therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash OAS. Betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. And we're back with Our American Stories. And up next, a story from Wat Wong. Today, Wat is a surgeon, but his journey to getting there was far from ordinary. He's here to share the story of his family fleeing Vietnam and arriving in America with nothing. Growing up in South Vietnam, I was really young at the time, but the things that we remember are the things that we did all the time. And so... We were Catholic, so we went to Mass all the time. Every morning, we would go to church. Our village was along the seashore. It was a fishing village, and so my dad was a commercial fisherman. 
he would leave every morning, come in every night, and so we would run out to the dock to see the day's catch. We didn't have running water, though we had the electricity, it was really limited. So we had a, a light in the house, and my grandparents, my dad's parents, they had the only TV in the village. And so we, all of us would swarm to his house and watch his TV. We didn't have an ice machine, we had an ice box. So my mother, if she needed ice, she would send me to the ice factory. She always ordered the bigger block of ice because I would walk along the beach in the hot sand. When I picked up the big block of ice and started walking home, ice is cold. So the ice would fall on the sand and then it would start to melt. So then I would pick it up and start walking a little bit more and it would fall again. So by the time I made it home, that block of ice was a lot smaller than the block that I started with. So those are the, some of the simple fond memories of the things that happen all the time. But at that time, the North Vietnamese communists, which they were supported by China and by the Soviet Union, were trying to overtake South Vietnam, which was non-communist. But so we were the democratic side of Vietnam and it was a civil war going on during that time. And so ultimately South Vietnam fell to the North Vietnamese communists. That's when I remember things such as the troops storming the South Vietnam and people just scrambling under military fire. I remember as a six-year-old hiding underneath the mattress, underneath the bed, and the North Vietnamese troops would run through our house and ransacking the house and hearing gunfire in the village and thinking, oh my goodness, this is, this is not going to end well. I remember hearing them yelling, you know, where's your dad? Because my dad was part of the South Vietnamese military. He had served a while back, but at that point, any grown man was considered a foe to them. And so they were looking for any men. So the North Vietnamese, as they came down, we knew democracy was going to end because Christianity was not going to be allowed. There was going to be a lot of tyranny as far as religion, as far as economy, as far as finances. And my parents knew that was coming. And so when South Vietnam fell to the North Vietnamese, and that was April 30th, 1975, when it happened, it happened in a hurry. The North Vietnamese troops came in rapidly and my parents decided to flee. And so as the troops were storming the ground, the only place you can flee is to the ocean. We knew that the U.S. had some presence in the ocean. And so we thought, okay, well, if we stay on land, you know, we're doomed. But maybe if we head out to the sea, maybe there would be somebody to receive us. We just had to flee. We didn't have time really to say any goodbyes. My immediate family and cousins and aunts and uncles, we all jumped on my dad's boat. I had three siblings. One of them was a newborn. And um, as we fled land and headed out, we saw a larger vessel and we thought, oh, thank goodness, you know, here's somebody that can help us. And as we approached that ship, come to find out that was a communist ship. And so they started firing on us and my grandmother was hit. And of course she was hurting and, and she told her husband, my grandfather, listen, you know, we, we need to get back to land because I won't be able to survive this. So when we went back on shore, my grandfather told my dad, son, there's no life for you here. Take your family with you. 
take the kids, we've lived a good long life, and you go make a new life for yourself and your family. I think back now and I think, okay, so I'm a dad now with two kids, and I can't imagine my parents telling me that. And I had to choose between, do I stay with my parents or do I take my family to a new opportunity? Whatever that opportunity was, we didn't know that it was going to be better. We just knew if we stayed, it wasn't going to be good. So my grandparents stayed, and I can't imagine my dad, what he felt. He took the four kids, the wife, my mother, of course, and uh, headed back to sea. And eventually, we came upon a U.S. ship that received us. We really had no idea of what a U.S. ship was going to look like versus a communist ship. And so when we came and approached one, and it turned out to be friendly, my dad boarded first, and then my mother handed me to my dad and then handed my youngest brother, who was a newborn at the time, to my dad. And so the three of us got on the naval ship first. And right then, they cut off any more people coming onto the ship because the ship was full. So then my mother and two other siblings were still on my dad's boat. And so they separated us then because they had no more room. We're now parted from one another, and who knows when we would see each other again. You just literally watch it float away. That was hard on my dad because my youngest brother was still breastfeeding at the time. And so here he is with a newborn baby being breastfed, and he can't feed the baby. I learned pretty quickly where to find milk in the ship. And so we just stumbled through it, but eventually got my younger brother fed. And I do remember... <laughs> The first good memory of being on that U.S. ship was when we were looking for something to eat and the first U.S. food that I ever put in my mouth was a Hershey's chocolate bar. And it was the best tasting thing I had ever put in my mouth. Gosh, that Hershey's bar was good. So, of course, we were fearful and, and not knowing what we were getting ourselves into. But several weeks later, we were all reunited. We all met together back again in Guam, which was U.S. owned at that time. Basically, we just stumbled across one another on that island. Then uh, we were all brought to Florida. We were at a immigration camp there. And from there, the different families were sponsored by American and U.S. families to different locations within the U.S. So there was a farming couple in Kentucky, Campbellville, Kentucky, that through the U.S. Catholic Charities Association, they sponsored my parents and the four kids. And so we packed up, got onto a Greyhound bus to Campbellville, Kentucky from Florida. There, my dad, who worked in the ocean his whole life, was now <laughs> transplanted into a farming community. At the time, we, none of us spoke English. The only English we knew was yes and no. So I started kindergarten in Kentucky, and somehow along the way, we were supposed to bring a blanket to take a nap with. Well, not understanding English, my parents didn't pack a blanket. And so I, when I showed up for first day of school and all the other kids are napping and they all had their blankets and I'm standing around looking at the kids, I don't have a blanket to take a nap with. And so... We quickly learned and, and adapted 
I do remember things that made it easy. For example, math, because two plus two will always be four, regardless of whatever language you speak. And whether you attend a Catholic mass in Vietnam or you attend one in Campbellville, Kentucky, it's hey, we all worship the same God. We all have the same Savior, and we're all trying to get to the same location. But the rest of it, it comes quickly when you have to speak that language. The material things that you accumulate over time, all of that you set aside, hoping you'd find a new life, a better opportunity for yourself and for your kids. And you're listening to Wat Wong tell the story of what happened to so many families when Saigon fell, when South Vietnam was captured by the communists. And there were consequences when we left Vietnam. But my goodness, Americans did step up. The role the Catholic Charities plays in so much of this and all kinds of Protestant charities as well in stepping up and taking care of the least of these. When we come back, more of this remarkable story, Wat Wong's story, here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. And we return to our American stories and to the story of Wat Wong. After fleeing Vietnam, we'd heard about how he and his family had begun to assimilate into American life. Here's Wat to tell us about more of his adventures here in America. I think in growing up and, and in hindsight, you see the things that your parents do or did. You appreciate their efforts. You know, my parents made a lot of sacrifices along the way, and, and I hear stories like, for example, growing up in South Vietnamese culture, we eat a lot of rice. And in Kentucky, it was all potatoes. <laughs> and so my dad would come back and come home from a hard day's work, and the farming couple that sponsored us, they would have a little bit of rice, and so we would cook it up, and there really wasn't enough to go around. And so my dad would just go hungry and sacrificed it and saved it for us. And so there's no telling how many countless sacrifices that I don't know about they've made. But they instilled on us the work ethic, the faith uh, that is required you know, through life. And so I try to teach that to our kids as well. So in South Vietnam, Catholicism was not necessarily the most prevalent religion, but it was for us and it was impactful for us. And my parents, if they had their preferences, I would be a priest right now. But I didn't go that route, much to their dismay. So I went to med school instead. That's a funny story. Um, my younger brother was asleep and my cousin and I were playing while he was taking a nap. and. We had a coin, I don't know, it may have been a quarter or something like that, and we were just spinning it on top of my brother who was asleep on his forehead, thinking, oh, this is kind of fun. That quarter landed in his mouth. He woke up and inhaled and swallowed that coin, so that got us in so much trouble. So we went to the emergency department. A doctor came to see him, took him to surgery, took the coin out, saved the day, came back out, my mother, of course, is still mad at us, but her son is saved. And, and I thought to myself, you know what? That's pretty neat. He saved my younger brother's life. I think I want to do that one day. It was just by chance doing something silly, something I shouldn't have been doing, that kind of piqued in, in interest. We never know what's in front of us. and. The experiences that we go through, at the time that we go through it, sometimes you don't really appreciate it until much after the fact. When we were growing up, we were poor. In, in the U.S., we were poor. My parents were not educated, so they did mostly labor jobs. And, and one of the jobs that my mother did was um, we worked in a crab factory. We picked the meat out of the crabs. And so here I was middle school and in high school, picking a stinky crab 
and why am I doing this? You know, all my friends during the summer were hanging out at the house, watching TV and all that, and I'm going to a stupid crap factory. <laughs> we were paid by production, so the more crap you crack, the more meat you get, the more you get paid. What I'm getting at is the motor dexterity that's required to crack a claw precisely to get that meat out so that there aren't any shells in that meat. It helped improve my hand speed my manual dexterity so my left hand is just as good as my right hand and yes my mother woke us up at four o'clock in the morning every day to go to the craft factory and it smelled horribly and i hated it and i dreaded it but here i am as a surgeon 30 years later with finger and hand dexterity that could not have been more polished than because of that manual work that i did so <laughs> Another something that I thought, gosh, why am I doing this? Uh, which then I later appreciate. Uh, so in college at LSU, during my freshman year, as I was walking around campus thinking about what I was going to do you know, for a summer job, I saw a flyer about the Southwestern Publishing Company. And I had no idea what the Southwestern Publishing Company was, but it said $400 a week summer job. And I thought, man. $400 a week, that's good money for a college student in 1987. And so I went to one of their seminars, not knowing what I was getting myself into. And so come to find out it was door to door book sales, blind cold calls, knocking on the door, seeing if a mom or dad might want to buy educational books for their kids. And I thought, there's no way. <laughs> But I gave it a try, and so we learned how to approach someone, a complete stranger, try to determine what their needs were, and maybe provide a product or service that can help them and their children do better for themselves. So fast forward 20 years later, I'm sitting with a patient who I've never met before. This person could be from any walk of life and they have a problem, an unmet need. And so you try to identify with that person, see what their needs are, and how can I make their life a little better? And so that experience as a 19-year-old college student knocking on 180 doors per week, cold calling, really shaped how I communicate with people to this very day, you know, trying to identify what their needs are, and hopefully make a difference in their life. As you're going through these experiences in life, most of the time it's there for a reason. We just don't realize it at the moment, but you do learn to appreciate those things later on. As I was growing up, I had a lot of horrible dreams about the troops storming the village and crawling under the bed and the nightmares with that, and that lasted for decades. It took a long time for those dreams to go away. The U.S., we, and I say we because I feel like I'm, obviously I'm part of the U.S. now. We're a welcoming society and every one of us has a culture and a background that's interwoven into one another. And so the U.S. was welcoming and the U.S. Catholic Charities Association really did a great job with bringing us in and finding families and assimilating us within the U.S. I just remember the kindness of our sponsoring families. They had 
kids and grandkids that were about our ages. And so uh, my siblings and I, you know, played with them and ran around the farm and did silly things. But I just remember their, their kindness. If it wasn't for them and what all they did for us, you know, we wouldn't be where we are now. I can't imagine what my parents went through. Everything is falling apart around you. You're leaving your parents. You don't speak the language. The only thing that we had was literally the clothes on our backs. Who knows where are you going? Not everyone came to the U.S. It all depended on the immigration services and where they decided. So we were just happened to be within that group that came to the U.S. You never know what happens in life and how that might impact you later on, but appreciate it for what it is when you're going through it and try to make the most of it. And great work by Madison on the production, and a special thanks to Wat Wong for sharing his story with us and what a quintessentially American story it was. His parents wanted him to be a priest. He disappointed them and became a doctor. His work at the crab factory, well, that helped him with his hand dexterity and also his discipline. He had to get up at 4 a.m. His door-to-door book sales gig taught him to listen, taught him empathy. That helped him with his bedside manner. He had bad dreams, he said, from all that happened in South Vietnam, but they diminished. And the U.S., he said, well, it's a welcoming society. Our cultures are interwoven. My Sicilian grandparents, my Lebanese grandparents would agree. And a special thanks to Catholic Charities for all the great work they do. The story of Wat Wong, the story of America in the end, here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. And we continue with Our American Stories. Up next, a story from Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro League's Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri. Today, Bob shares with us a story about one of his friends, Buck O'Neill. Take it away, Bob. Our guests walk into the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and you literally walk through the turnstiles into an old ballpark. And the first thing that you see is the field, the field of legends. And the field of legends is a mock baseball diamond that houses 10 of 12 life-size bronze sculptures of Negro League greats, and they are cast in position as if they were playing a game. Now on the outside looking in is my dear friend, the late great Buck O'Neill, who was the only one of our collection of statues that wasn't in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, thankfully, on December 5th, of 2021, Buck O'Neill received enough votes to now be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame, 15 years after he missed by one vote. I'll never forget that day as long as my mother would say, I'm in my natural mind. It was the morning of February 27, 2006, and Buck O'Neill and I left home with suitcases packed with airline tickets that the Hall of Fame had purchased for us. That's how sure we were that Buck was going to get in. This was just a mere formality. And so there was a group of 12 Negro League historians, researchers, educators. They were to gather down in Tampa, Florida, where they were gonna make the decision on the final group of Negro Leaguers who had gone through the process and made the final ballot the late great Buck O'Neill, and now the late great Minnie Minoso were the only two living names on that list. And so we were going to fly. After the announcement, Buck and I would fly down to Tampa where he would participate in a press conference the very next day. And so at that time, I was the marketing director for the museum. And so I had brokered a deal with our partner, then Sprint, now T-Mobile. 
and they had provided Sprint phone for me and a Sprint phone for Buck. And so we're gonna take the Hall of Fame call on the Sprint phone, and then Sprint was going to pay us a bunch of money to help build the Buck O'Neill Education and Research Center. And, and so the call was supposed to come to me that morning at around 11 o'clock. Well, 11 o'clock rolls around, I don't get a phone call. About noon, my colleague, Dr. Ray Doswell, who was one of the 12 people who had gathered there in Tampa to make this decision, he calls and says, Bob, this thing is looking really tight. We've done strong vote and Buck is coming up one vote shy. Former Commissioner Faye Vincent, who was overseeing the committee, didn't have a vote. He was overseeing the committee, says he's reconvened us so that we can talk specifically about Buck O'Neill and Minnie Minoso, the only two guys that were still alive on this list of 30 plus. Well, my good friend Joe Posnanski was sitting right where you're sitting. And I, as Joe come out and said, hey man, I just got a call from Ray. He says, this thing is looking tight. Buck is coming up one vote shy. He's in disbelief. Finally, around two o'clock, I get a call from Jeff Idelson. Jeff Idelson was then the vice president of marketing for the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And Jeff calls me and he says, Bob, Buck didn't get enough votes. And I felt like someone had kicked me in my gut. Because now I got to come back in this conference room and tell my friend that he didn't get enough votes when I know in his heart he thought he was in. Why wouldn't he? And so I come back in, I excuse a few folks. Buck was seated right there at the head of the table. And I sit down and I am literally trying to collect my thoughts. I don't know how I'm going to tell him. And so I finally look up at Buck and I say, well, Buck, we didn't get enough votes. And he looks up at me and he smiles. He said, well, that's how the cookie crumbles. And in the next voice, he asked me how many had gotten in. I said, 17. Now, I'll be honest, I was furious. Because in my mind, you couldn't put 17 in and leave Buck out. He hits the table in utter jubilation. He is excited that 17 of his colleagues had gotten their rightful place in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, as a steward of this story, I should have had that same kind of feeling, but I was upset because my guy didn't get in. And he asked me who they were, and at that point in time, I didn't have that information. And the next words that came out of his mouth, I wonder if the Hall of Fame will invite me to speak. Now, my friend Joe Posnaski, my brother, he's turned beet red, and he looks at Buck and he says, Buck, you wouldn't do that, would you? And Buck says, Joe, of course I would. What has my life been about? And I said, well, Buck, I need to go downstairs because downstairs we had well over 300 plus people who had gathered for what we all thought was going to be a Hall of Fame celebration announcement. Well, as I oftentimes tell this story, from this conference room to the Field of Legends, where we had the podium set up at second base, was the longest walk of my life. I was literally coaching myself. Bob, you can't cry. Whatever you do, you can't cry. You got to suck it up. Now, the more I'm telling myself not to cry, tears are steady building in my eyes. I get to the podium 
And this is the honest to God's truth. I have no idea what I said. I've never gone back to watch the video. I don't know if I ever will. Whatever it was that I said, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. People were openly emotional. And, and this wasn't disappointment. This was outrage. This was anger. How dare they? And, and Buck walks in through our gift shop. And the room erupts into a thunderous ovation. And Buck O'Neill walks up to the podium and delivers one of the most amazing concession speeches that I'd ever heard. What he did that day was he literally implored all of us not to be angry, not to be bitter, not to express any ill will toward anyone who had anything to do with this decision. He said, I had an opportunity. And in this great country of ours, that's all you could ever ask. They didn't think old Buck was good enough. We got to live with that. But if I'm a Hall of Famer in your eyes, that's all that matters to me. Just keep on loving old Buck. Now, I'm over in the corner at this point in time. I'm a wreck. You know, tears are just streaming down my face and uncontrollably. But what Buck O'Neill did that day was he literally reached out his arms and wrapped them around all of us and said, it's okay. Instead of us consoling him, he's consoling us. And what I still say to this day to be one of the most amazing displays of strength of character that I had ever witnessed. He would push aside his disappointment, go to Cooperstown, deliver this incredible speech on behalf of 17 dead folks when the world was saying this should be your induction speech in what I still say today was the most selfless act in American sports history. What Buck O'Neill did that day was he literally gave us a lesson on how to handle disappointment. Because he handled it so graciously that people thought he wasn't disappointed. But of course he was. The Hall of Fame represents the pinnacle for any athlete. And Buck knew he was sick at that time. Just over two months later, my friend Buck O'Neill passed away himself at age 94, a month shy of his 95th birthday. This was going to be his swan song, even though he never complained, even though he understood what his health situation was like and what the doctors had already prepared him for. And so, yeah, he, he handled the disappointment, well, he handled it like a man. And so he was never going to be so sullen about his rejection that he couldn't be genuinely joyous for those who had gotten their place in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And so I'm trying to be more Buck-like. And a terrific job on the storytelling by Monty Montgomery. And a special thanks to Bob Kendrick. What a terrific voice. And he was telling the story of Buck O'Neill, who, if you watched Ken Burns' documentary on baseball, Buck O'Neill stole the show. He chewed up all the scenery. And by the way, if you want to hear the remarkable speech he gave in Cooperstown, New York, you'll see a man that you'd want to emulate and be. And by the end of his speech, he had athletes, famous ball players, announcers, and family members of Jackie Robinson and ordinary fans holding hands and singing and praising the idea of love and of God. 
the story of Buck O'Neill here on Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.